Thanks for taking the time to listen to our latest content here on the Blood Red channel. Guy here with just a quick message. Do you want the very latest Liverpool FC news directly into your inbox? Well then sign up to our daily LFC newsletter, which will bring you the breaking news and big events from around Anfield. To subscribe, just go to bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. That's B-I-T dot L-Y forward slash LFC newsletter. Or click the link in the description of this podcast and pop in your email address. It really is that simple. That link once more bit.ly forward slash LFC newsletter. Well, thanks for your time and on with the podcast. This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. On this day back in 2001, Liverpool completed the hat-trick leg of an incredible cup-winning treble with a 5-4 golden goal win in extra time against Spanish side Alaves in the UEFA Cup. Just four days on from the memorable FA Cup final in Cardiff against Arsenal, with Michael Owen scoring twice and stealing the show, the UEFA Cup and FA Cup wins sat alongside the League Cup, which had been won against Birmingham City in the February. I'm Guy Clark, this is Liverpool Classics here on Blood. Red as we rewind the clock and reminisce on that magical season in which Gerard Houllier brought his first pieces of silverware to Anfield. Joining us on the line to talk about the UEFA Cup win playing for the Reds and the 2000-2001 season is a man who featured in 47 of the Reds' 63 games that season. Danny Murphy, pleasure to have you on Blood Red with us. I imagine it's hard to believe that that UEFA Cup win came 19 years to the day. Um, well, not really. I mean, it's um, it's a great memory. Well, all, all my Liverpool achievements are great memories, and therefore, you know, they they seem fresher in the mind, if you like. But uh, yeah, it shows you, doesn't it? The, the years just fly by, especially when you finish playing. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it's nice actually at the moment because the time we've had through this coronavirus has, uh, has actually gave me a little bit of, given me a little bit of time to reminisce and watch a few things back that I've never watched, including that final. No, and that, that final as well, it was, I mean, obviously it was a great season. You guys qualified for the Champions League in the league, something I think that I wouldn't say gets overlooked because it was a big achievement, but and it, and it obviously set, set the club up for, for bigger things as well. But the League Cup win the FA Cup win, the UEFA Cup win, especially that week, I suppose, where you played Alaves in Dortmund and just off the back of the FA Cup win over Arsenal, a brilliant comeback in that match as well. It must have just been, I suppose, a magical time to be involved with the club, just lifting trophy after trophy, sort of must have had that feeling of invincibility almost, did you? Um, Well, I think, in a way, the fact that those trophies all came so quickly was not ideal because you don't enjoy them the same because you're just on with the next thing. You know, after the FA Cup final, the celebrations were muted because of the forthcoming UEFA Cup final. After the UEFA Cup final, we were on strict orders not to go too mad because we had the Charlton games <laughs> to then try and qualify for the Champions League. But I think when you're at Liverpool, you're expected to win trophies. You know, I grew up as a Liverpool fan watching them win trophies every year. And it was it was a time where we thought we were progressing really well. Probably progressed more quickly than we anticipated. Um, so you did you did you did then maybe find yourself in a false sense of security because you think, oh, this is going to happen every season. And we all know that you don't win three trophies every season. It doesn't happen um, for anybody. So 
I suppose I suppose the only downside was that because because we were so successful on so many fronts, the the chance to enjoy each one individually wasn't wasn't great. But it was it was fantastic in terms of I mean the parade was amazing around Liverpool on the bus. Um it did give us the confidence, I suppose, to then go on and do better things in the league and even experience Champions League. We got the quarterfinals. We we didn't quite get to lift the Premier League, as everybody knows, but we did have a progression where we went, you know, fourth, third, second. And um, that whole journey was great because we felt like we were improving. We were up against good, really good com- com- competition with Arsenal United at the time, as you well know. And um, we, we didn't quite have enough to get over the line, but the, the memories of playing for Liverpool and, and achieving things and winning trophies will stay with me forever, especially, of course, because that that supporter in me and that, that childhood dream for me was only to play for Liverpool and I, and I managed to do it. You know, the, the, the opportunities I got and the success I had is something I'm still very grateful for to this day. And I suppose that as well, obviously, there'd been what a League Cup and an FA Cup win during the 90s for the club. But it wasn't really since, obviously, the late 80s and obviously in 1990 winning that last league title that we well know that Liverpool last won, that Liverpool had sort of had that amount of success that quickly within a season. As you say, you, you couldn't go every season winning three trophies. But with that sort of supporter in you, with obviously playing with the likes of local lads, Jamie Carragher, Stephen Gerrard, Michael Owen, all in the side as well, you mentioned that parade and obviously going through the streets of the city centre with the trophies. That must have been a real, I suppose, magical moment for you. Although, as you say, in the moment, you probably don't appreciate it as much. Well, I did try and take it in the best I could because, you know, I was aware that we'd done something very special. Um, you know, I wasn't too focused on electronic gadgets and trying to record the moment. I was trying to savour it and take it in. I had... Um, my son at the time, he, I mean, he's, he's a man now, but he was only about five or six. He was with me, um, and it was fantastic for him. But it, it was it was a magical time, and, and it, it made all the hard work, if you like, individually and collectively worthwhile. Because ultimately, you do it you do it for the fans as well as yourself and your family. And the fans' appreciation for what we'd done was there for all to see. I think. Of course, you you didn't. I didn't think for one second that we'd all we'd win after that was a league cup. But that that was just the competitive nature of the football world we were in, high level football. I I only now look back and really put it into perspective what we did. You know the enormity of it, um, and that's where the pride comes in because in the moment you don't really feel like you're doing anything other than your job. You know, Liverpool was always expected to win things and we, we were on a journey where we expected it from ourselves. So you didn't really understand the memories you were making, if that makes sense. You know, you kind of just roll with the punches and, and as as everything that's good in life, it comes to an end, I'm afraid. No, certainly. As you say, well, we'll just sort of chat about that UEFA Cup final. As you say, you get a chance to sort of look back at it and, and watch it back. And I mean, it was a great start to the game for you guys. Marcus Barbel score, scoring early and Stevie G popping up with that, that goal just after sort of the, the quarter of an hour mark, being 2-0 up. Having obviously had that grueler of a, an FA Cup final with Arsenal just before, was there a bit of a feeling of, oh, we, we've got this we've got this lead now? And dare I say, I wouldn't want to say complacency creeping in, but sort of a feeling that you had the measure of Alaves at that stage. 
I think it was complacency. I think that was obvious to see when you watch it back. We were in total control. Um, they scored from nothing, really, to get back into it. Um, and then even at 3-1, again, we probably thought, oh, we've got the comfort again, and we've got the comfort of a two-goal lead and probably took off, put off the gas and, and you know, didn't do things properly, got a bit lax in our... Normally, one of our strengths, of course, in that UEFA Cup run was the ability to, you know, be hard to beat and, and um, see out games by being defensively, defensively solid and condensed space. But we, we were a bit all over the place, and and it was, it was heading, it was heading into one of those games where you just didn't know what was going to happen next, even when you're on the pitch. But I think, I think the firepower we had, and even the firepower that came off the bench, ultimately got us over the line. You know, every time we, we attacked, we looked like we could score. Um, there were some good, good substitutions made by us and some bad ones by them. But in cup finals, you know, although people say, oh, it was a good game, and it was, and it was a great game to watch and, and a good game to watch, you know, to play in, it, it, it really doesn't matter what goes on as long as you win. I mean, the, the Liverpool-Arsenal game in the cup finals, as you well know, was oh, Arsenal dominated us for the majority of it. And Michael got us out of trouble and we, we all walked away with winners medals on another day. We, we You know, we could have lost that game comfortably. So, Although it was a good game, and it's nice to say I was involved in a great game, I wouldn't be talking about that game being a great game if we'd lost. I mean, someone was talking to me on a radio show the other day about Leeds 4, Liverpool 3, when Viduka got all four, and I was like, I really can't remember any of it. I don't care if it was a good game. I really couldn't care less because we lost. And um, that's just, that's what it is in finals. And I was lucky. I mean, I, I only lost one final played, and that was with Fulham, but I had... Um, I was very fortunate to be playing alongside some wonderful talent, wonderful players who were able to get us over the line on those particular occasions we've been talking about. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. That strength in depth that you had as a squad as well, I mean, you mentioned that firepower, Owen and Heskey starting the game, Robbie Fowler, of course, on the bench. I think it was obviously around this time that uh, Yari Lippmann was was at the club as well, and there was such an array of attacking talent. But even in the midfield, the likes of Patrick Berger, who obviously had, had got the assist for the second in the cup final against Arsenal, there was such sort of competition for places in and amongst that squad. And I think you must have played near on sixty games that season, so you had to have that depth. You do, yeah. I mean, we see that more and more now. But I think I think what was what was crucial in that rotation, if you like, is that the lads. Knew knew it knew it was working and actually accepted it rather than cause problems for the manager. Of course, there was times where at a certain game you might not start that you wanted to start. You know, I was I started the finals, but I didn't I didn't start the semi final at home. So I started the one away to Barca, but not the one at home, which was disappointing. I remember feeling disappointed about it, but actually, in the bigger scheme of things, we we were all in it together. And the best example was probably Gary Mack. You know, he was devastated he didn't start the FA Cup final. I know he got on the pitch, but he, he then he then got himself together with the right mental attitude to to be man of the match in the UEFA Cup final and score the pen and make the assist. So the mentality of the group was very, very strong and Julier and his staff created that. They created that with the you know, the philosophy, the training, the the communication, all the things you need from good management to keep a, a, a group of footballers happy with big egos all wanting to play um, you know Michael didn't play the League Cup final he didn't even get on um, which I know still rankles with him um, and Robbie didn't start the UEFA Cup final you know it's it's just it's just the way it was and we had to accept it to, and, and, and I suppose it's easier to accept when you're getting success 
and we were getting success. So it, be- it became part and parcel of what we got used to. Um, and I think gone are the days where, you know, 13 players are going to be used more than ever. You, you, you need 17, 18, 20 quality players now if you're going to be successful and win trophies. We, we look at Man City winning all the cup competitions at the moment. Well, the last season or two, even Liverpool now with their dominance in the league, they're rotating the midfield boys where you do the most running regularly. You know, they've got six choices in midfield and they can all do the job adequately. City, you know, you're looking at the front six of them, you can pick any three and, and still think, wow, that's that's incredible. Whereas, you know, then it wasn't as expected. You you didn't it, it was it was I suppose I suppose we were one of the first teams to do that a lot, rotate a lot. I don't even think United did it as much. They had the four strikers when they won the treble, but they still had their best their best eleven playing more often than not. But you do you do need that strength and depth and we definitely had it. You mentioned and spoke about Gary McAllister there as well, and I was just wondering the impact he had, even on you in your career. We even see now, obviously, he's, he's number two to, to Stephen Gerrard up at Rangers, but him coming in at perhaps the latter stage of his career, I think you probably would have been, what, 23, 24 during this season, and just what you could, could learn from him. And, of course, I suppose easy to say how your career went and everything, but later on in your career, you've already mentioned that Europa League final with Fulham. You went and played, I suppose, a similar role in being the, the elder statesman in the team, moving yeah. your, your teammates around the pitch. And I suppose he was a, a great example to learn from. He was indeed. Um, as was Deep Mahaman as well. He was very crucial in, in helping me. I mean, Gary Mack was very comfortable with his ability and what he could and couldn't do. Um, nothing fazed him. He, he was great little words of wisdom in the game. If you're having a bad spell, you know, telling you to take a couple of extra touches, calm down. Uh, and where that experience comes in the most for the likes of Gary Mack, I mean, yes, off the pitch is great when, you know, you're talking about things and asking advice on, it could be lots of various aspects of football life. But on the pitch, when you, you're in a you're in a, a game that's frenetic and, you know, the, the passion's taken away, getting taking you away from, from your job. And you you have players like Dietmar and Gary who would be saying, hold on, Danny, Stevie, stand here, get back in here, don't be going anywhere. We're winning or we're drawing, it's no problem. Don't worry, let them have the ball for a bit, drop off or whatever it is. They, they sound very simple things, but when you've got two or three of those in the team who are who are helping the lads with the energy and the, the, the passion in the you know the fire in their belly if you like and you know sometimes Stevie and I might get carried away and running out of position and want to go and press or go and get get a goal or get the win and actually a draw in Europe in a first leg away from home is it's fine where are you going stay there we'll wait till we get into Anfield or that you know that type of wisdom that comes through playing lots of games and in international football and European football. Um, and, and I learn a lot from them, from the likes of those two. And, and actually, I think that's why I had the capabilities later to be a captain at Fulham and, and have a successful period with Fulham because I, I got to a point where I was able to help others because I was comfortable with my own game and, of course, the experiences I've been through. Yeah, certainly. Just one thing I wanted to, to ask you as well about these cup finals, obviously sort of within four days of one another. It's, it's been said by, I think, a number of players that the English lads in the dressing room really wanted that FA Cup winner's medal and the, the, the European and foreign lads in the dressing room really wanted that that UEFA Cup winner's medal. I suppose it's easy to say that in hindsight now you've got both because probably at the time you you were just playing, as you said before, every game as it came and you wanted to win no matter what in, in every game you played. Yeah, I, th- I think 
everybody's different. I mean, there was certainly, um, if you'd have said to me, which final would you have to choose one would you rather have playing? I mean, beforehand, I'd have said the FA Cup final because I grew up on it. I, you know, playing an FA Cup final is every young boy's dream. Um, playing in the UEFA Cup final, not so much. But actually, winning a UEFA Cup or any European trophy um, is a, a remarkable achievement. So, looking back now, I don't know if I've made that decision again. But I think because of my nationality and my, and my upbringing, yeah, I think the FA Cup final was would have been something I would have prioritised over the other at the time, and vice versa, the European lads who are who had grown up in countries where European success was was more important and prioritised differently. Maybe they maybe they felt that, yeah. But I can only speak for myself. I mean, I I think I think you don't really want to miss any games, um, especially finals. Um, and, I, and as soon as the FA Cup final had finished, I actually um, all automatically started thinking, oh, you know, is he going to leave me out for the the UEFA Cup final? How is he going to switch it up? Who's going to play where? Um, you know, I desperately wanted to play. There was certainly not any part of me that thought, well, I'm not that bothered about this. Because once one game's out of the way, it's like it's like saying, you know, you're playing, you're playing Everton away on Saturday and then you've got Chelsea at home on Wednesday. Well, if you're asking me, Liverpool, I say, well, I'd rather play in the Everton one. Once the Everton one's out of the way, there's no way I don't want to play against Chelsea under, you know, Anfield or you know, whatever it was. And you, you just kind of week to week, just kind of give it, give your best, give your all. Never saved anything. Never tried to play differently in any game, really. Um, and I think, I think that mindset was collective because that's why we got the success. There wasn't a flippancy around League Cup games or FA Cup games or UEFA Cup games because ultimately, the competition for places meant that if you weren't at it, you wouldn't play. Yeah, no, certainly. And just before uh, let you go, Danny, thanks a lot for for joining us. And of course, we see you a, a lot on the TV. We hear you a lot on the radio talking about the action. It's nice to do these and, and catch up, of course, and, and reminisce and look back and the situation we find ourselves in. We're, we're doing more and more of it. But I suppose you, like the rest of us, just can't wait for the football to be back when it's safe to do so. Desperately want to see the football again. I think it would be fantastic for everybody. You know, footballers. Probably the the most watched event that we have we have in this country, and, and it, it's missing from people's lives, and it creates a lot of happiness and joy. I think, of course, there's no magic wand here. We're not going to get a situation where the fans are flooding back to the stadiums anytime soon. We know that, but I think for people to be able to watch it on the telly, even if it is behind closed doors, and see some competitive action um, would help everyone. And of course, the integrity of the league. Um, in you know the fairness surrounding our football in this country needs to continue. So I think it would be an absolute travesty for us not to get the league um, finished, whether it be neutral grounds or you know home and away. I know there's certain teams at the bottom who don't adhere to those views, but I I, I think that's a little bit circumstantial based on where they are on the table rather than the, the goodness of the game. I my my understanding is I've spoken to quite a few players who are still playing and. Although some of them might have to sing from the same hymn sheet as the hierarchy of the football club, every single player I've spoken to, six or seven of them, have all said um, they're desperate to play again. They really are. And we understand the safety issues. I mean, come on. I mean, let's not take stupid risks. But I think we have enough um, capability, um, especially financially with the testing, with the um, 
isolation of, of groups of players if need be. And we could do we can do it in a six seven week period. I'm sure, even if that meant you have to be away from your families and young kids and grandparents and stuff like that. I think where there's a will, there's a way, and there's, and, and I'm I'm certainly hearing there's a will. Yeah, and I'm sure that when it is then safe to do so, and we can all sort of crowd back together, fans get back together, and everything. This Liverpool League title, which will be wrapped up one way or another, will be celebrated like no other has been there's been this 30 year wait of course the league title will probably get wrapped up in not too long after football does resume but then it may be a little while longer before it can truly be celebrated yeah I think there's one there's one thing for sure isn't there that yes their celebrations will be great but the one thing for sure is that no matter what happens and how the season's concluded nobody in football who's watched the Premier League this season can doubt that Liverpool thoroughly deserve the title and have been the best team by a country mile. So, you know, it's not like there's a three or a six point gap here. Um, and people could say, well, it's not really a genuine title because, you know, they, they could have lost that if there was a crowd, they were away from home and there was a crowd or whatever. The fact is they need to win two games. I mean, they would they were going to win two in, in their sleep, you know, with the opposition they had to play. So I, I, I think everybody agrees that they thoroughly deserve it. And whenever it happens, I'll be I'll be delighted for everybody involved with the football club. Danny, thanks a lot for your time. Really appreciate it. Pleasure. Nice speaking to you. Former Liverpool midfielder Danny Murphy with us here on the Blood Red Channel. Well, thanks to Danny for his time and to you too for listening in and joining us here on Blood Red. The agenda returns tomorrow as we discuss the one and only Stephen Gerrard before our Blood Red podcast returns on Monday. Thanks for your time and your company. Catch you next time here on Blood Red. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.